Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. As COVID cases rise in the UK, we're looking into whether a spike in infections will be followed by a spike in deaths. This is coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leloudis. It's been four months since the UK government began to ease the lockdown and a perhaps not unexpected side effect of more freedoms. Coronavirus cases are on the up. Last Friday saw the highest number of recorded cases on any day since mid-May, with over three and a half thousand confirmed. Then Sunday became the third day in a row where the UK confirmed more than 3,000 new cases. It means the seven-day daily average has doubled this week on last. But on Monday, when the UK saw over 2,600 new cases, the country only recorded one death within 28 days of testing positive with the virus. But according to the WHO, that is set to change. On Monday, the body's regional director for Europe, Hans Kluger, warned that the rise in cases across the continent will be followed by a rise in deaths. It's going to get more tough. In October, in November, we're going to see more mortality. It's a moment that the countries don't want to hear this bad news, and I understand. But I think it's very important that this is going to finish. This is not the end of the world. The pandemic will finish, but are we going to see a surge in fatalities before that happens? To answer that question, I gave The Telegraph's global health security correspondent, Sarah Newey, a call. Sarah spends her days speaking to scientists and academics about the coronavirus, about treatments, vaccine developments and any changes of the virus itself. So I started by asking her what the experts are telling her about whether or not the UK is likely to see a surge in deaths as cases rise. Well, I think as with anything around coronavirus, there's not like a simple sentence answer. So bear with me. It's a complicated picture. Obviously, the overarching message is this is cause for concern. You know, yesterday the UK reported, I think it was some 3,300 new infections. Mm. It's not a small number. And the reproductive rate is now as high as 1.7 by some measures, which means that every individual who's infected is infecting at least 1.7 other people. But there are a few things to think about in terms of comparisons to earlier in the pandemic to start with and what that might mean in terms of deaths and hospitalisations. So let's start with the comparisons. The first thing is to remember that we're testing a lot more people than we were testing in March, April time. Um, So while the figures are kind of comparable in a base level to where we were back in March, 
actually we're testing, I think we're testing like 175,000 people compared to about 7,000 people. So inevitably, we're going to find more cases and more of them aren't going to be severe cases. Not least because we were primarily testing people in hospitals back then. Exactly. That's the thing. So now we're picking up a lot more young people. There has been a market shift in demographics. So more young people rather than elderly people are getting infected. And that in itself will have a knock on impact, right? Young people, we know they're less likely to get severe illness and we know they're less likely to die. Um, So that's definitely a factor. Where we need to think about is there is a concern with rising cases and we have a really bad habit as human beings of understanding what exponential growth means. So lots of experts have been talking to me about this whole idea of wheat and chessboard test, which is if you imagine you put one grain of wheat on the first square of a chessboard and then you put two on the second, four on the third, and you keep doubling it until you're up to the 64 squares of the chessboard covered. How many grains of wheat do you think there are? I mean, I think find it quite hard to imagine. I'm terrible at this kind of thing. I think I'm about to prove your point exactly right. (laughs) Give it a guess. Um, Okay, so you've got one and then two. Oh, it's going to be something crazy. I I don't know, a million. No, it's 18.4 quintillion. Oh, wow. That's a lot. Exactly. So exponential growth happens really, really quickly. So that's why experts are concerned about this uptick. But as I kind of alluded to a moment ago, you know, more young people are getting infected we're having more tests there's also um, better tools in place to tackle people who are ill so experts are also saying although there's a bit more division over this but experts are saying we might not expect to see the same peak in deaths that we saw in March April time and if you look at the US obviously they've had a huge second wave over the summer but actually even though they had roughly double the number of cases they had about half as many deaths And this is also partly because that new pandemic was driven or second pandemic was driven by younger people. So there's a lot going on. I think we're right to be concerned and experts are concerned because what happens now will have a knock on effect in weeks to come. And if you don't act soon enough, it's all well and good saying in a month's time, oh, look, we haven't had the rise in deaths. But that may well have been because action was actually taken. Whereas if you don't do anything, then it might get into care homes and circulate among elderly people again. So it's a mixed picture. With that in mind, do you think the key to keeping the death toll lower than it was over the last peak is not letting the virus spread to care homes? Oh, care homes is a really big issue, Mm. yeah. I was looking back at the figures over the weekend and it was almost 30,000 more people died in care homes in England and Wales between March and June compared to last year. And at least two thirds of those deaths were attributable to COVID-19. So we're talking like 20,000 people, which is almost a third, roughly a third of all deaths from coronavirus in the UK. So, yeah, keeping it out of care homes and and stopping it from spreading among elderly and vulnerable people is going to be a really big ask. Um, I don't think the solution is going to be as easy as telling people who are vulnerable to shield. That brings in all sorts of problems around like work and who can, you know, wealth issues and Mm. deprivation. We know different groups are more or less likely to get it. And you can't just tell all BME groups, for instance, to stay at home. That's ridiculous. But care homes are a big thing. And there are some worrying signs. Um, One of our colleagues, Sophie Barnes, reported over the weekend that a letter was issued to care home bosses on Friday um, amid concerns that infections are rising in the elderly. But I think that that is one of the biggest single things. If we properly get PPE in care homes, ensure that testing is available um, and really put them at the forefront of the strategy, then, yeah, inevitably, if fewer elderly people are infected, fewer our death count's going to be much smaller.
I suppose it's also worth saying that over the last peak, many of the infections that led to that huge number of deaths were picked up when we didn't have social distancing measures in place, uh, when far fewer people were wearing face masks. What effect do you think that that's going to have on on this peak? Well, actually, it's interesting that you mentioned face masks. I was talking to someone, some experts recently, um, and they were saying, so a guy called Martin McKee from the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine, really lovely guy, he was saying that actually wearing face masks and social distancing, there is some evidence that it might mean that when we get infected, we get less ill because even if we've got a little bit of, we've come in contact with a little bit of the virus, we haven't come in contact with such a huge infectious dose. And there's in growing evidence, um, a few of my colleagues have written about this, if people are interested in finding out more. We'll put the links in the show notes. Yeah, um, there's some evidence that um, the more virus you're in contact with or exposed to, the more severely ill you'll get later down the line. So if we're wearing face masks and we're distancing, even if you get ill, you might only get a little bit ill rather than really severely ill. It's that question of viral load that we've spoken about several exactly. times on this podcast. Exactly, yeah. What are we seeing elsewhere in Europe, Sarah, in places that are perhaps earlier on in their second wave? I mean, obviously, countries are different. It doesn't always play out the same way. But what trends are we seeing elsewhere in Europe? Well, it's an interesting picture, actually. I think it's a bit mixed. If we look at Europe as a whole, um, cases are surging in 14 countries in the continent at the moment. But over the last 68 days, deaths have remained relatively stable. Um, and only three countries right now have seen an increase in their two-weekly average, which is Croatia, Spain and Malta. Um, and that's according to data from the European Centre for Disease Control. So it could be that that suggests that it is fitting into this picture we talked about earlier, where there are fewer deaths in a new wave. Um, but there are some worrying signs. So for instance, France, we've compared ourselves to France quite a lot. Hospitalizations rose by 76% last week compared to the week before. And obviously that's inevitably, we're talking about this lag that we mentioned earlier. Um, it tends to be that, you know, it takes about five days for someone to, to show symptoms to start with. There may be another five days to a week if, until they get really ill and end up in hospital. And there may be another two to three weeks until they die. And then in a lot of countries, it's then actually two to three weeks, this including the UK, after that, that the death even registers in figures. So the fact that France has seen an increase, such an increase in hospitalizations is a concern. But there other places that are more positive. So Sweden, actually, obviously Sweden is hugely controversial and you do have to be a bit careful when you're comparing us to Sweden or any country um, outside of its neighbours because, you know, deprivation levels are different here, population density is different, all those sorts of factors. But there was a bit of a resurgence in July in Sweden and it didn't really result in an increase in deaths. So it's a mixed picture, basically. There is cause for optimism, but um, you can also understand why experts are saying, you know, we need to act now because uh, we don't want to follow the trajectory of, say, what's happening in Spain, for instance. They have seen an increase in deaths, but they're battling quite a, quite a spike in cases. With that lag that you spoke about, as you say, uh, it takes time for someone to develop symptoms, yeah. to go to hospital if they are experiencing very severe symptoms. Can you apply that to the UK? When do you think that we will know whether the uptick in cases is really causing more deaths? Well, yeah, that's a million dollar question, mm. isn't it? <laughs> um, well, I think we'll know for sure within the next month. Pro- well, I say for sure. Maybe I shouldn't say for sure. Nothing we'll is have for a sure much, these days, I suppose. Exactly. But we'll have a much clearer picture within the next month is what I'm the impression I'm getting. But then it does depend a bit on different factors. For instance, if over the next month it still is driven predominantly by young people and it doesn't get into care homes, then we're unlikely to see a spike in deaths. But say that changed in October or November or December, then 
it could all shift again and actually we could see a, a really rapid spike in case in deaths even if the increase in cases has been less substantial. So I think, and of course, the other problem, we spoke about that whole concept of exponential growth a few moments ago. Of course, that's why the government will be acting now to introduce new restrictions, because you have to act early early to prevent that really, really rapid escalation. And, and as we've heard reported a lot of times, you know, there's a lot of evidence if the government had introduced lockdown even just one week earlier, back in March, it could have saved thousands of deaths. So... I think we'll have a, a clearer imp- uh, picture of where the UK is going over the next few weeks. But then you don't really want it to ever get to that point. <laughs> you want to act before. So um, it it's difficult yeah. to say exactly where we're going and what's going to happen, I think. The other big difference between now and April and May, Sarah, is medical developments Absolutely. and the improvements in, in treatments. What medical research has been done and what treatments have been discovered that mean that we're less likely to see an upsurge in deaths than we would have been a few months ago? I'm really glad you brought this up because I think it is a really important factor. There have been some really substantial steps forward. I think one of the biggest ones is dexamethasone, which is uh, the cheap, widely available steroid. It's used in severely ill patients, so it doesn't help people at the beginning um, you wouldn't give it to someone who just had a, was at home, for instance. It, it's very much for when you're really severely ill. So according to the scientists who carried out trials, um, the recovery trial in the UK, the steroid can stop one in three deaths among patients on ventilators. And for patients on oxygen, it can prevent one in five. So that's quite a big number. The other drug that has been shown to be effective is called remdesivir, which is an antiviral. Um, it's shown to reduce recovery time. There's also been more understanding about the use of ventilators. When should you put on ventilators? When shouldn't you? I think experts and doctors uh, have just from observation and getting used to treating patients. It's an element of medicine is trial and error, right? In terms of what actually works in an ICU. So um, I think there's more understanding of when to use ventilators when actually it might be better to keep a patient off a ventilator and on oxygen so that would make a difference as well. Mm, Obviously this is a new coronavirus which is why we didn't know nearly as much about treating it in the beginning as we do now but this isn't the first time that the world's experienced a pandemic. Sarah looking back at history is there anything that we can take from previous pandemics which could tell us whether we are about to see a surge in deaths. Well, yeah, that's an interesting question. And if we look back at the major one that everyone always compares it to, it's the Spanish flu um, in 1918, 1919. And that actually saw a really deadly second wave. And I think that's stoked a bit of the concerns that we're seeing now. But flu mutates a lot more quickly than the coronavirus does. And that was part of the reason that it was so deadly then. Um, We're not seeing that in the same way this time around. There have been mutations, but as far as we can work out, they don't make the illness more deadly. So with that in mind, I think actually there's a place to be optimistic that we might have the opposite with COVID-19 and potentially we're going to have a second wave of the of the illness, but not a second peak in deaths. Hopefully, touch wood. Let's keep our fingers crossed and hope that all the things we talked about in terms of care homes and things don't play out. Sarah, I really, really hope you're right, both for the Telegraph's podcast output and for the world. Thank you so (laughs) much for, for talking to us today. No worries. Well, thank you. The rest of the coronavirus latest news. 
An antibody treatment that could lessen the impact of COVID-19 is to be trialled on patients in UK hospitals. The recovery trial, coordinated by the University of Oxford, will assess the impact of giving patients a man-made antibody treatment known as REGN-CoV2 on top of standard care to see if it lessens the severity of COVID-19 cases. It's the same trial that found in June that the cheap steroid dexamethasone could save the lives of people with severe COVID infections. The government ministers instructed the British public to report their neighbours to the police if they host gatherings of more than six people. It comes as new restrictions make it illegal for a group of more than six to meet indoors and outdoors in England and Scotland. In Wales, it's only illegal indoors. The policing minister, Kit Malthouse, told the BBC that if members of the public see people flouting the rules and are concerned, then they should call the non-emergency police number. Britain's largest police force, the Metropolitan Police, said in a statement on Monday that officers would be patrolling public spaces to disperse large groups. Sir Keir Starmer is self-isolating after a member of his household showed possible symptoms of COVID-19. The person with the symptoms has had a test and the Labour leader isn't reported to have shown any symptoms himself. If you'd like more information on any of those stories, head to the episode description where you'll find links to full articles. And if you're not already a Telegraph subscriber, head first to telegraph.co.uk slash audio, where you can get 30 days access to all of our journalism on coronavirus, news, politics, sport, lifestyle, and much, much more completely free for your first month. Subscribe to this podcast feed to make sure you don't miss my next update. And if you're finding these updates helpful, please do let me know by leaving a comment on Apple Podcasts. Thank you to everyone who's done that so far. It really helps me know that I'm making audio that you want to listen to. That really is the aim of the game. If you'd like to get in touch, the email address is coronaviruspodcast at telegraph.co.uk. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at T underscore Leludis. This is Coronavirus, the latest from The Telegraph. I'm Theodora Leludis. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mm. 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 Mm